Welcome everybody to Drive to Win. I'm Justin Bell, your host, and we are back for a second season here at the Win Las Vegas. Of course, this show is only brought to you and is possible thanks to the support of the Win here in Las Vegas, but also thanks to Mobile One. And as they say, it is all about for the love of driving. Well, I don't know about you, but it has been an incredible off-season. Seemed a very short one. We just left here just a few weeks ago, it felt like, and then everything settled in in the pre-Christmas sort of uh, calm. And that's definitely what the drivers did. And I thought that was really fun to follow along on social media. As Max Verstappen said, he said, if anyone contacts me from the middle of December to the middle of January, I don't have anything to do with it. But that's really how it went. Everyone was in a little bit of a, a calm period, regrouping, re-energizing. And you could even see it the way the drivers were were doing their training. It was very much a maintenance program. And then the new year hit and they certainly went for it. Uh, we're going to kick off this week with a very special guest, uh, Michael Potts, is the emerging top Formula One photographer, and he is on the ground in Bahrain as we speak. So I thought it'd be pretty good to have him on, especially as all the drivers and teams are so occupied in the run-up to the first race. Well, we've got some uh, very lofty goals for the year. I definitely would like to make Drive to Win the premiere podcast here in the States, all about the Formula One lifestyle, and hopefully with your help, we can get on and do that. Uh, we have some exciting distribution news coming up in the next few weeks. But certainly to add to the ways you can watch this show, obviously you can watch us on any of your podcast platforms, wherever you get those. But also very uh, dynamically, we're now with Speed Vision. Now, do you remember Speed Vision, the days of speed? Anyone that's a racing fan in America knows that that was our de facto default channel to go to for all things motorsport. Well, the IP came up for grabs. One of the original founders got hold of it, and it has been launched as a fast channel. So 22 countries, about 16 different networks right now, including Prime Video and Redbox, Google TV. So you can actually watch us as a very visual show on there. In addition to that, we're going to be able to be found over on the Talk Media Group, which is another company of mine. We have a very active Facebook channel over there. So go and check it out. The whole show in its entirety will be over there, allowing you to have much more engagement with my whole team and, and myself and as well as our Instagram. So please, let's make this the year that we put Drive to Win firmly on everybody's uh, front of mind. So the first race, just a few weeks or a few days away in Bahrain and it has been pretty a uh, hot and heavy pre-season with everybody uh, revealing their liveries, revealing their cars. The launches, it's funny, the Formula One launches used to be something spectacular. You could always tell its it, they're outside the budget cap, so it doesn't affect the, the bottom line. So some of them have been so extravagant over the years involving rock bands and, and all the like. Uh, but sometimes you can tell it's all about business and they're very much more focused. But... You know, when you look at the the liveries of those first cars, they you know, you kind of look at it and you go, oh, it's it, do I do I like it? What is it? Is it too much change from the year before? But there's some special things to note about that, and I get to that in a minute. Uh, but I did want to jump in with a couple of the things that have really appealed to me, and I think that's what uh, the preseason is all about. It's the storylines that have been so brilliantly captured by a lot of my peers in all their different podcasts and order sport and, and on, online and things. And obviously the biggest one that we all woke up to, and I thought it was just a spoof, was when I just thought it was some crazy meme saying something stupid that Lewis Hamilton was going to go to Ferrari in 2025. And I just was like, there is no way. So I went to a more uh, reputable source and I was like, yeah, this is actually true. Which kicked off some interesting emotions in me because I totally get it that any driver, any driver who's ever got behind the wheel with a professional intent really would like to at one point drive for Ferrari in Formula One. One day don the red racing suit. My father was the same back in at the end of the 60s into 1970. He got the opportunity to race for Enzo in Formula One. And as he said, even though all his success came with Porsche, wearing the red race suit, red race suit was definitely the highlight of everything. So for Lewis, it's a legacy thing. I mean, I think he's going to uh, not only 
extend his brand. That's what Fred Vasseur said. They're able to really grow him as a legacy brand. I think 100 mil a year will probably help that as well. Um, but it's going to really cause a cascade effect within Formula One that we saw when, you know, Sebastian Vettel retired and suddenly all the seats started to shuffle around. And it's very much like one of those those games where you move one piece and then all the other pieces become available. But if no one moves, there are no moves to play. And so who will take the Mercedes-Benz seats? Certainly Toto Wolf is staying pretty quiet on that one. And with Carlos Sainz, who I truly believe was very shocked and probably, you know, even though he's a very strong, manly guy, and we talked about that on the show before, maybe with a bit too much enthusiasm. Um, but he, you know he's emotional. You know he's a passionate guy, and racing for the Ferrari brand is very much a part of his identity. But I love the way he races. He's so aggressive. He's a fighter. He controls the race from inside the car, and all those things I really enjoy about Carlos. And so I am sure that we will see whatever his migration is as as a really pivotal part of the you know the upcoming silly season as we call it but that's not the serious part of of the lewis hamilton defection or move it's what what happens i mean a lot of people have asked me since it came out what happens inside a formula 1 team what happens in when you're racing for a team and you are going to leave at the end of the year especially in formula 1 where there is so much tra- uh, technology being discussed evolution of aerodynamic theories and all the developments of the car, you're a big part of that, especially Lewis within the Mercedes camp. Do you remember last year I was saying that I think the reason George Hamilton, uh, George Russell is able to maybe be a bit more flamboyant in the car sometimes is he doesn't carry the burden of leadership that Lewis does. But now it's all up to, uh, you know, if, if Lewis has got that role and he's leaving at the end of the year, where does it put it? It's a bit like politics when they have a lame duck president. What are they supposed to do? I mean, how how many secrets do you tell them? So I think, you know, a question that you could ask is, at what point does that become a factor on on many levels? As the development of the 25 car probably starts to come into play mid-season, that noose will definitely tighten uh, around Lewis's neck and how they kind of keep him out of some of the technical briefings and the development of the next year's car. Because it doesn't matter how many contracts and IP, uh, you know, not not uh, disclosing confidential information. Of course, when you go to the next team, you're going to have to share it. It's, it's the way it goes. So how will the cards fall as the season progresses? Well, the questions that you could ask, is, and which is worth asking is, how does that affect the teammates on track? How, what is the dynamic going to be like in terms of Toto and the team management deciding which horse to back? I personally feel that they will do it as an equal playing field to begin with. And obviously, if Lewis has a stronger run, then they will have to favor his car. That's the way it happens. It happens in all the teams. But they will really only do that if it's down to Lewis securing an eighth world championship in a Mercedes. I think the results from testing show that that's probably not going to happen this year. So his eighth championship could come with Ferrari. So do they then put the emphasis on George, which I think is going to happen earlier than we see because he was the de facto new leader of the team moving into 2025. So team orders, will they obey it? Will George obey it? Will Lewis go, no, I'm just going to try and get every podium, every result I can. It's going to be a really interesting dynamic. And what about science with Leclerc? You know Leclerc's got that one race, one lap pace, but sometimes it's down to Carlos. He is able to move it through the race, manage his tires better. They say the tire deg is better on the Ferrari for this year. So over a long run, will he be able to show his pace and his racecraft? But if he's leaving, will Ferrari, I mean, they... They can self-implode at any time on, you know, on their own. They don't need much outside influence. But now you've got this fact that Leclerc is staying and Carlos is out. I think we're going to see an awful lot of, of action. But my money's on. They're definitely going to uh, favor the, the, the driver that's going to stay for the next year. That's my thought anyway. Here's something we do as British people. British people, we love to build you up. We do. It's something we do. It's a small island, right? Just a few people, millions of people, and millions of people. And 
what we do, we bring our sporting heroes up to the top. Think of Nigel Mansell. We rose him to, he was the most popular man in England. And then when you get there and you start doing well, we immediately knock you down. We look for any weakness. We look for any fault. It's just something we really enjoy. As It's almost like a national sport. And that's what's happening a bit now. Um, I mean, kind of deservedly, but with Red Bull and Christian Horner and this whole story about perhaps impropriety from Christian Horner, it could be that Red Bull and, and Christian are standing on the edge of a pretty nasty cliff right now. Now, I know a lot of attention has been brought to it. An investigation is underway. Uh, and I, I've got to tell you, uh, I mean, I'm not going to throw rocks living in a glass house. I, I've had my own life and we all have a lot of people listening to this. And so we all know that life can, can take over. But in today's world, making a mistake as a famous person or doing inappropriate actions or not doing them, just the accusation alone, it is a grenade. And we're seeing while Red Bull and Formula One may be trying to to, to quieten it, uh, the news, and it's all over the news every day for the last couple of days, with the fact that Jim Farley, who's CEO of Ford, is saying, we want accountability, we want answers, we need this investigation to have a result, not just be slid under the, brushed under the carpet. So I think that story is going to be very dynamic. And if, can you imagine, Christian Horner gets fired? Well, the news that would maybe follow, I don't know, is at the end of the year, would, uh, you know, would you really see Adrian Newey wanting to stay? And then the whole, this, the, the, the mega team, the, you know, they're the man united of, of racing yes, maybe the whole thing starts to fall apart. Um, I don't know. It's certainly, it's certainly a total cluster, isn't it? And, uh, just reminds you, the old days of racing, you could kind of get away with a lot more, but not anymore, not with billions on the table. Remember last year we had uh, Mario Andretti on the show twice. It was a true honor, one of the best things that I've ever had as an interview. And do you remember the last one? He was he didn't want to make comment about their, their entry into Formula One being accepted uh, other than being optimistic. Well, as we know, over the winter, that didn't happen. Uh, and it's interesting because obviously... American-based Formula One fans, I go to events, I go to dinners and car clubs and things, and it does, there's a lot of conversation drives it back to that. And that has always been, uh, the consistent theme is, it's Formula One want to extract the maximum out of the American audience. They, we've got three races here. They're commercially taking everything they can from the American uh, race fan, and then to deny this legacy brand of Mario and Michael and the whole Andretti dynasty from a place in Formula One is really just down to greed. It's down to the fact that the $200 million, uh, almost like a franchise fee, was set before the advent of Drive to Survive and how it blew it up. They now think it should be at least a billion dollars. And I get that. I get both sides of the the coin, but boy, I mean, what a way to to let down the American uh, U.S. racing market, especially with Liberty being such a marketing company. So, I wonder if there are going to be some things that that happen down the road that may mean that that was a really, really big mistake. Talking about Drive to Survive, well, last Friday, the twenty third, was my birthday. And it was also the launch of the season six of Drive to Survive. And I obviously had to, to sit there and watch the first episode. And I thought it really was a reminder of just how much is at stake going into the first race of the year. It was just a brilliant, even though it was a reflection on last year and it was all about last year, it, it brought up the same emotions in me. I don't know what you felt, but it was just so cool to, you saw the liveries, you saw the cars, you saw, I mean, you just saw how there was so much at stake for everyone there, whether it was, you know, you obviously Aston Martin doing so well with Fernando Alonso, but no one knew that until he did qualifying. And that really captured the essence of what's going to be happening in just 
a couple of days time when the cars get out there for qualifying. So it was kudos to the, once again, to the amazing producers at Drive to Survive because it got me on the edge of my seat and there were so many questions, just even like seeing the the faces of the other team managers going, well, how the hell did they pull out? What did Aston do? Oh, well, they ended up nicking a whole load of people from Red Bull, didn't they, in the aero department. Well, then why aren't we doing that? It just was so human that, I tell you what, that's going to be happening a lot this weekend up and down the pit lane. Something that's been also in the news, and I want to bring this up as a, as a race fan, also as someone that was a racing driver, because I think the the paint scheme issue for this year and a lot of the cars coming out in pretty much like Alpine bare carbon over a great percentage of the car, it's all done for weight. It's all done so they can allocate that weight distribution to other areas of the car that are more performance-based. But remember, the whole purpose of motorsports, other than the technical side, is that you it's a moving billboard. Always has been. It's the best way to display a company's brand and logo and image and color scheme on the side of something that goes at 200 miles an hour, seen by billions of people. Take that away, and they all look the same. I think you're really affecting the spectacle. So I am sure going into next year, we're going to see a revision to the rules that say you have to have 90% of the car covered in paint, and the teams will have to work around that. But what about the driver's helmets? Until quite recently, you weren't allowed to change your helmet design that much. And as a driver, it is the one area that is yours. Do you remember I had that beautiful Lando Norris helmet, the, the beach ball one from Miami, right here on the desk, the actual helmet, just incredible to see and so fun. But, and, the, and it does allow the drivers free expression. It's the only one they actually have in, out of everything they do in Formula One. But the problem is, as, yeah, there's only 20 drivers, 20 cars, we know who's in each car. One of the identifying things about a driver is the only identifying thing is his helmet. Whether it was Graham Hill uh, and then Damon Hill with the black, with the white, whether it was Etten Senna with the yellow and the, the colors. And, you know, it's just a part of identifying the driver. My father's was British flag, white helmet, blue and orange stripe. They actually came from the Gulf colors. And then when I raced, I reversed them. That's all we did. Even though we jazzed it up, you could always tell our helmets. So, in a way, I think they're going to probably have to bring back the a little bit more guidelines on that. So we'll see. Um, what did we learn from the Bahrain test? Well, quite a lot, actually, going in and maybe not a lot. I think there's a little bit of a disservice to the average race fan when it comes to testing because there is a lot of sandbagging. And I don't know much about American sports, but I don't know if sandbagging is even a thing. I don't think you could do that in football. But in racing, it means you go out, you do not display the best of your abilities until until you need to, which will be qualifying this week. So the cars are out there. Are they running fuel loads of 20 kilo or 60 kilo? Where are they on their tire run? And it really does affect things. And we did see that with the times during the day. I mean, Max was over a second faster on the first day, didn't even run on the third afternoon, which means they'd packed everything away and they knew what they were doing. Telemetry really does allow these drivers to to drive to an exact lap time, which they will predetermine, which they know won't, won't give the game away too much. So I think, uh, once again, like Drive to Survive said, it's going to be a lot coming into play when we see it. And I mean, there's a lot of speculation going into, you know, what's going to happen this, this weekend. Everybody, if you're a betting man, would, is Max Verstappen going to just run away with it again? I don't know. I think the others may have caught up a bit. So it's going to be very, very exciting. And so much to deal with. So many storylines that are unexpected ahead. That's the beauty of the, of the magic of Formula One. Before, of course, we wind our way back up here for the Heineken Silver Grand Prix of Las Vegas. So now let's uh, give a little shout out and a little reflection on what we actually did here in back in November at the win. Remember, it was the place to be for the inaugural Grand Prix of Las Vegas. And whether it was the welcome party to the red carpet event, when I was out there, you saw that, talking to everybody, whether it was the RM Sotheby's auction to the Netflix Cup, certainly there were race-themed pop-ups everywhere. Lewis Hamilton had a little store with his clothing brand, 44, right here inside the win. And of course, we kicked it off that weekend before with just the unparalleled majesty of the Concours at Win Las Vegas. Once again, I'm going to be a part of that. 
But this year, it is going to be a couple of weeks earlier, which is going to separate it just before the very famous SEMA show here. Now, of course, as things rev up even higher, remember Las Vegas now know how to do the Grand Prix. It's It took months to set up last year, a lot of invasion for the locals, but now the cabling, the fiber, the, the holes for the fences, everything is all in place. So I think you're going to see it come together a lot faster and a lot more efficiently, hopefully with a lot more uh, less effect on the locals. But the effect on the visitors was incredible. So whenever you're planning your next trip to the Strip, may, make sure that you stay here at the Wynn Las Vegas. We have an all-year-round race-themed displays next door right now. We have just some incredible vintage cars, experiences, and activations all across the property. And the packages for this year's Ultimate Race Week will be available soon, and I'll tell you all about them. So why don't we get ready for our first guest of the season, Michael Potts. He's in his eighth year as a professional Formula One photographer. His images are just beautiful. They really do capture the new genre, the new style of motorsports photography, where it's not all about the logo. It's just about beauty, imagery, capturing the spirit, the speed. And that is certainly what Michael does. He was watching Formula One with his dad and his family in Zimbabwe, where he was born. Uh, Nicky Lauda was his hero as a child. And he remembers being captivated by the sound, the, the beauty, the sights of Formula One, and he's made it his mission to bring that to further Formula One fans through his beautiful work. So let's welcome him now. Michael, really good to have you join the show. Good to be here. <laughs> so as you just said, you, you must, a lot must be going on in Bahrain. Is What actually, I want to get into the test weekend and what it was all about. But you just mentioned when you, when you joined on uh, Connected a minute ago, you just came from a barbecue with all the teams. Formula One, is like all forms of motorsport. It's just, a, it is kind of like a big family, a big circus that goes on the road. Yeah. Is there definitely a feeling of, you know, schools back in session? Is that is that the, the vibe? Yeah, so we had that a lot last week. Um, you know, everyone's been off for about 100 days and um, everyone came back and you're finding out what they've done on their holidays, what people have been, been getting up to. It's, uh, yeah, it is like the first day of school. That's fun. And I presume, were the drivers at your little barbecue or do they, are they off? It looked like they're playing a lot of paddleboard. That's all I could see. Yeah. Um, it was mainly just teams and um, some of the, the media personnel, um, lots of the mechanics, a couple of the F2 guys were there. Um, yeah, it was, it, it, it's quite a nice, it's quite a nice mix. There's probably about 500 people in the paddock. Um three or four large barbecues going on there were some kebabs being being barbecued and all sorts of uh, nice. very cool local cuisine that's um, fun yeah i saw kebabs yeah. actually on on one of the social media posts it's obviously a thing i thought it was just a british thing yeah. i didn't know <laughs> yeah. um and what's quite nice is that the teams are kind of are intermingling so you know you've got red bull mechanics hanging out with mercedes mechanics and um yeah you kind of wish that um Formula One Twitter could sometimes see how sociable the teams are with each other. I'm glad you said that because so many of the teams, the the people, and most people in racing in Formula One, because they're so good at what they do, they've been doing it a long time, which means they have shifted teams over the years. And I, uh, the last one I went to, I was very uh, reminded of that, that I saw one of my old Vauxhall Lotus mechanics who's now working for McLaren who, you know, and everybody's moving around. And actually, when when it's not race weekend, there is a camaraderie and a, and a shared sense of purpose. So for me, do you think a strategic point of view, it's also good for you to be able to see the mechanics without, you know, trying to do a three-second pit stop? Do you do you feel that that's, that, you know, just making friends, really? Yeah. Generally, I think the media kind of sits slightly outside that group. Mm. Um, the mechanics and engineers tend to stick together. Uh, media tend to to hang out together as well, uh, but events like this, we we do sort of cross over a little bit, um, yeah, which is nice. That's nice. Well, let's go back to the the first time the the cars hit track last week. We're going to talk about your work in a, in a minute. I mentioned it just just before you came on that you know one of the things is and I and actually I was thinking about it. Obviously, we saw those car reveals, we saw the liveries, and it's kind of weird because it 
it's not all the time that the cars have to show what they're actually going to look like, you know, all the aero bits at the launch. But once they hit the track last week, they actually, it was like cards on the deck minus the performance area. What's that like for you guys? Are you tasked by your clients? Hey, listen, make sure you get a shot of the front wing of the, or the front upright A-arm of the Mercedes. Do you, I mean, do you get, is that what you're supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, information sort of spreads around the paddock a bit like a sort of wildfire, like Mercedes have got a new front wing. Mm. And then everyone goes off to try and capture it and get the, the first few shots of the new front wing. Um, we knew, this was a bit unusual because if you look at like last year, a lot of the cars had renders or they, they had the previous year's car with, with the new stickers on. This year, most of the teams were, were quite close to their, their on-track car at the launches. Mm. So we had a vague idea of what to expect, even though they had blurred out some of the details, especially around diffusers. Um, but the Red Bull was still a surprise. Um, those vertical uh, inlets, um, that, that was quite, quite, uh, quite bold and quite surprising. Um, the very, very thin Mercedes front wing is, is, is quite a delicate little, little bit of detail. So yeah, there was, there was lots of interesting things because it was only three days, there weren't too many surprises during the, during the whole test. Uh, sometimes teams bring up um, big upgrade packages halfway through. Um, so yeah, none of that. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was a pretty, it was probably one of the more honest test sessions that we've had in a few years. Yeah. I'm, I mean, this is something that people also don't necessarily realize about Formula One. When you look at it as a fan, it just looks at this massive global enterprise. But when you're actually there and you're in the paddock, it's a few hundred yards long. You've got billions of dollars being spent, but you've also got all the stakeholders, all the, all the participants, drivers, everybody, team managers in a very condensed area. Uh, do you, so you can get an energy of what's happening. What was the, was there a sense of optimism at the beginning that got a little crushed by the end of day one when you saw Max's and the pace in, in the Red Bull? Was there a little like, oh, shit, here we go again? It was, it was so deflating. Um, <laughs> a lot of energy before we, before we got there, before the first couple of, uh, couple of laps. But I think at lunchtime he had put 0.9 ahead of everyone. Yeah. And then by the end of the day he was 1.1. And yeah, you, you could really feel the deflation in the paddock. It was the buzz. It kind of killed the buzz for the rest of the rest of the three days. Mm. Even after Ferrari posted a fast time, it still didn't pick up um, pick up morale because it just looked like he did it so easily. Um, and and that's a terrifying thing. Like he doesn't look. No one. No one's convinced that he's put through a a really a really big lap yet yeah and yeah. he's this far ahead i mean that's shocking just think about that when he said one of the things that the, the phrase that he used that really alarmed me was he feels more comfortable in the car than he did last year yeah and yeah. i don't know what that i mean that just is, sounds disastrous for everyone else doesn't it um when one here at here when the cars were at, right outside here at the win you know on i was just outside turn one in the hospitality watching. And there's a very dynamic shift in the way the cars look when they are absolutely on the limit, right? There's that, there's just that it, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up and you, you watch and you go, Oh, wow. Wow. They're on it. That moment for you. And you watch so many thousands of corners, right? And so many cars that are you aware when you even through looking through the viewfinder that, Okay, that car is behaving particularly well. That's particularly yeah. fast. Well, most of the time. Uh, so for testing, they they're really not on a, on extreme laps uh, mm. very much. There's quite a lot of testing. So I think Haas um, did four hundred and something odd laps. Probably about thirty of those were laps in anger, like really, you know nearing a qualifying lap mm. um so when you do see a car just it's like a cat kind of goes a little bit sort of mm. into kind of attack mode um yeah you do notice it um 
in testing, it doesn't happen as much as it does on, on kind of a race weekend. Uh, they they get on it a lot quicker and for a lot longer on a on a sort of a race practice yeah. um, or a qualifying practice session. Uh, but it, you do visibly see the car look different and behave different and sound different. Yeah. You know, the, the, the engine modes or the gears that they're in, um, when they're in a cruise mode, it's, it's a completely different sound to when it's, it's actually going for it. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm going to bring up a couple of your pictures. Uh, Sorry, carry on. I was just going to say, if, if any of your, uh, if anyone watching is going to a race, it, it's a very interesting thing to try and watch um, when you see the cars going around, because you will see and hear a difference between a push lap and a, and a normal lap. And it's, it is quite something special. To yeah, see. that's what I mean. I was outside turn one here. You know, the way they would come down, first of all, shocking how little dive they have, right? At the end of the massive yes. straight here. And, you know, I'm used to GT cars going, you know, whereas this goes just yeah. a little bit. And that energy, the speed that they pick up the throttle trace, I mean, is just mind-numbing to me. As a driver, I know exactly what they're doing, and I'm going, you're not even supposed to, you're supposed to be rolling into the corner at that point, and you're already on the gas. I'm like, holy crap, that's that's crazy. And also, the number of different lines they take. And, you know, that's something I tell my friends who are casual fans. I said, watch the different styles of drivers, especially if you're there at the track. You can really see see what they do it's just bloody brilliant actually i gotta say amazing yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, max is a particularly good one to watch for different lines because he's uh, he's a genius when he comes to to picking the right line to go in the corner it's really? yeah yeah wild well i love your work i've got to say i'm i'm an amateur photographer oh, I, I just love portraits it's something i do i shoot with Leica, and i i really love it but i have a massive respect for for what you do uh in very difficult conditions a lot of the time. And we're going to bring up a few of your pictures now. I, I chose ones that really appealed to me because you've, don't you think the world of a professional photo, sports photographer has changed? This is, you used to have to get every logo to make the sponsors happy. Now you're able to create art with what you do. Is, is that one, was that one of the things you'd hope to bring to, to Formula One photography when you started out? Yeah, I think I think for me it's it, it's trying to get a, a sense of giving the viewer an understanding of how I felt when I was standing there taking that picture. Mm. Uh, so this is that, that last one was George coming out of his pit box, and it, yeah, you hopefully you get a feeling that that yeah. you're you're kind of close to the car. I, I love that shot, but I chose that one because literally I felt I had just stepped back from the front right tire. You know what I mean? It felt like I if I had the gun in my my you know the the tire gun. He, that's the view he got right at that moment. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, I want to try and, and, and bring people into it because it, it's a sport that I absolutely love. And it, it's a way that I can share that passion with people and, and hope that they can enjoy it as much as I do. Yeah. Talk about accessing the, the drivers um, because, I mean, you use great big lenses. You can take that shot like of Lewis you know, probably from out, outside the garage. One of the beautiful things about, you know, Drive to Survive, and I want to ask you about that in a minute, but, you know, and, and social media is that we feel so, we have so much more access to them. Yeah. We feel like we know them. I don't know. I feel like Carlos is a mate, right? And and I, you know, I know Kevin, but, you know, it's, it's I, and I'm sure Lewis and I would get on if he gave me a chance, but that's not how it works. And you guys are the ones that are capturing those images but do you find that they're getting a little overexposed? Are they getting a bit gun shy to you, or do they know that's the game? Um, I think there's a, a healthy balance um, with most most of us. Uh, most of the photographers are, you know, they go to a couple of races at least. There's quite a lot of us that go to, you know, 15, 20 races. Um, so you do, you're at least familiar with the drivers. And, I think there's quite a healthy respect. We give them a lot of space. Mm. Um, we try to give them a lot of space. And, um, and yeah, that kind of lets us get decent shots of them. They are happy to come and stand near us uh, to be photographed. Um, there's definitely a, a mutual benefit, uh, mutually beneficial for, for both of us to, to photograph and be photographed. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the balance is, is good at the moment. Yes. I know in other sports that it can get a bit over the top and a bit aggressive. So, yeah, I'm, I'm 
quite happy the way it is at the moment. Yeah, well, that's good. One of the the things, obviously, I mean, I said at the beginning of the show that Drive to Survive season six just launched. Everyone's binge watched it. It brings that insight and that intrigue and 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 all that. I mean, you're there. You see them. How intrusive are they? Just tell us. I mean, I know you need booms everywhere, capturing the conversations. Uh, everyone seems to be yeah. in it slightly reluctantly or, I mean, what, how, does, how do they interact with everybody? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I was surprised how little Max was in, in this season. Um, I thought that was a bit odd. Um, the Drive to Survive film crew tend to be pretty discreet. Mm. They're there. You see the booms. Um, but they they don't really get in your way um, as much as we have, we have a much harder time with, with um, uh, television crews than, than drive uh, to survive. Probably um, the so local ones as well, crews, right? Probably the local ones, you know, get right in the way. Maybe the ones yeah. that don't travel. I know in sports cars, that's the case. You're like, what? <laughs> you know, right there. I, I think what happened was after drive to survive came out and they did such a good job that all the TV um, producers kind of went to their film crews and said, why aren't you getting these shots? Wow. Um, so it's made them a little bit more, um, uh, <laughs> more aggressive. Um, but yeah, um, it's an interesting one. I think some drivers definitely like Drive to Survive a lot more. Um, Alex Alban, George Russell, they, Lewis, they, they, they seem to really enjoy it. Mm. Hulkenberg, Verstappen, probably less so. You can see it. You can see the way the way they react. Yeah. Um, what's the, what's the paddock going to be? I think without Gunter Steiner. I mean, <laughs> I think it's so funny because well, I know I I know the reality of it. I know the way he was viewed inside. You know what I mean? As in, as a professional, is very different from the way he was viewed by the by the world, the global Drive to Survive fan. Um, he was a character, but boy, uh, that's that's a big uh, one of the cast is missing. Yes, um, he is back. He is doing some um, commentary for German TV. Okay, so he will be at some of the races, uh, but he won't be shouting about his door being kicked down or looking like idiots, uh, yeah. which is which is what we what we want him for. Um, I did a few events in the US where he was speaking, and um, he would fill out whatever auditorium we were in. Um, the guy is massively, massively popular. Um, so yes, it's, it's definitely a loss not having him around. Um, yeah, we'll see how the team does, uh, without him. Yeah. I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried about them because they, uh, the new technical director is, he's quite a, a softly spoken guy and the two drivers are, are quite softly spoken. The, the car is, is nondescript and they write down the back end of the paddock. Um, and they're not particularly fast, so no. there's not a lot going for them this year. No, it's gonna it it could it could be in the savagery of Formula One. I mean, we know that yeah. Toto, Horner, Zach, uh, you know, Vasseur, when they get in a meeting and they're fighting for air and they're putting their point across to the stewards, you know that must get pretty that that's pretty lively yeah. stuff, right? Which we're never privy to. But I mean, I've been privy to yeah. it in other forms of motorsport. It's a business, billions on the line. I mean, they, you know, jobs and everything at stake. So I know that it gets pretty lively in there. Yeah, you're right. That might be, he might be too softly spoken for that one. Um, let's talk about the weekend coming up. There's so, the storylines, as you say, how fast are, is the rebel really going to be when they get out there? How close are the others going to be? I mean, Aston was such a, an extraordinary immersion last you know last year when they came out and they had the third place right off the first race with Alonso do you think we're in for a, a story like that somewhere I mean is there any buzz about who could be the shock surprise for a podium this weekend uh, shock surprise for podium ah that's a good one um I think there's a good chance that three different manufacturers will be on the podium uh, I think Ferrari and Mercedes are pretty close. I was I was very impressed with Mercedes. Uh, Lewis Hamilton on day two, he was doing um, uh, some long run, um, long run on mediums, and he just looked. You know, when you sit about yeah. your hair standing up on the back of your, your neck, it, it was that kind of a drive, and he was doing it lap after lap. 
um, which I thought was very, very impressive. The car just looked very, very good. Mm. Um, Visa Cash app racing bulls yeah. might yeah. be a surprise, not for a podium, but um, definitely in the mix for Q3. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it, it's can somebody get between Max and, and Checo? Uh, I think it's a big question. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we saw last year is some of the races you'd watch the start and you'd see the Ferraris part like it was Moses coming up behind them and Max would go through the middle and you're like, what the hell? Just slam the door on the guy. I mean, and, and Lando at one point went, oh, yeah, but he's coming by anyway. That's not the point. Just make it as difficult yeah. as you can. And then maybe he gets hit. Yeah. Maybe he gets t- Maybe he locks up, gets a flat spot, whatever. Just he, they've got to reset. you're in your dirty air for, for two more laps and his tires are going off yeah. or something. Just, yeah. I, I mean, I hope they all start the year without the, <clears throat> without the uh, resignation, right? Which they all had at the end of the year. <sighs> Well, that, that's, what, that's what the first day of testing felt like. It felt like everyone was, oh, well, you know, Here we go. He's, he's fast. So there's nothing we can do. Well, I hope, I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's funny in, in Vegas, you know, they, obviously the, the, all the online betting is a big deal. Formula One's a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And there was an interesting my, uh, bet that they were about to place, which is um, the odds were, would Max win 14 or more races that seemed to be the you know the threshold and when jeremiah my producer said what do you think i was like oh my it's 16 races he just told me okay it's now 16 races i i was like is he is he yes that's horrid i don't want to think that but you know a betting man oh my goodness um Uh, you you could you could put some money on that and, and be quite confident i think so but actually, as you said, that Jeremiah's probably on his app right now, <laughs> signing up. So if he loses a lot of money, he'll be calling you. Um, but that's the thing. It is, it is just so wild to see. And of course, under the lights, let's talk from your point of view. Under the lights, it is a very visual racetrack. It's 20 years since the first race there. Uh, we, it always puts on a good show. It seems the right track for that great overtaking. And it is the longer tire runs that are going to, going to yep. come into play tire deg was such an issue last year it does sound like those teams that like ferrari maybe have got over that maybe that's what you saw with lewis out there that they have improved yeah. that because in reality red bull just were faster on every lap by a margin if that can be narrowed down then they can exert pressure mm-hmm. right yes um it, it's usually a two-stop race um, mm. so hopefully there's and that's two more opportunities for something to go wrong with Max, maybe a sticky mm-hmm. wheel nut or something like that. Which never happened um, last year. They didn't even have so much as a piece of duct tape come off. So, I mean. No. 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 Or he, when he did do something wrong, it was when it didn't really matter. Like he hit the wall and Zunford when he was coming into, yeah. um, you know, restart so he could change the front wing. Um, yeah, it, that luck can't hold. You know, you, on the one side, you've got Max just everything he does seems to kind of land on his feet. And at Ferrari, you've got Charles who, yeah, you've got, you got, you got, you've got um, uh, Charles over at Ferrari and, and he just can't seem to catch a break anything he does ever. No. Now, I thought it was interesting. Um, uh, who was it that said, oh, it was Lewis's manager, right? Said that he thinks, um, oh, so Max's manager that Charles, he said today that, you know, Leclerc is the guy that he thinks is is as good as Max. So, you know, given the opportunity, he will. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about McLaren because they came in. I'm a big McLaren fan. Zach's always been a great guest on the show. Uh, you've got a real sign at the end of the year in the hunt. They did so much work. They really did get their heads down. Two young drivers bring their way up to the front, fighting basically almost for a win, uh, certainly to win the rest of the best of the rest. What's the vibe around McLaren and, and what do you think about going into this weekend? So they might not be that good this weekend, um, mm. but don't be disheartened. Um, look at them after Jeddah. Um, Jeddah's a much more McLaren track, more high-speed corners. Um, yeah, they, they've struggled um, historically at Bahrain for, for a okay. number of years. So 
yeah, if they're not if they're not there, don't be disheartened. No, it wouldn't be done. Okay, I'm gonna we're gonna obviously have to 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 let you go. But um Christian Horner keeping a pretty low profile, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we uh, he was um he was due to due to be in a press conference uh, tomorrow, uh, which he's not going to be in, um, apparently. Um, and um, he was in one during testing, but uh, avoided all the questions. Mm. Um, the journalists didn't give him a particularly hard time, unfortunately. But it is, it's definitely one to watch with interest. Um, yeah. I said it could create a cascading effect of crap that comes down from that Adrian yeah. Newey you know the relate i mean it, in today's world if it's all pans out to be the way we all think and know it probably was it's it's a it it's going to really upset the red bull apple cart and that may be hate to say it what the other teams are going to have to to roll with yes he has done such a good job of holding that team together for for such a long time i don't know if there's anyone else who can do it as well as he's done it well well, thank you for saying that. Where can people find your work, Michael? Um, YouTube and Instagram at Michael Potts F1. Okay. Well, it'll be so good. Well, we'll see you at some of the other races. Jeremiah and I are going to come along. We're going to we're going to make our way to a few races, Fantastic. British Grand Prix, and a few here. And maybe when you uh, when you come to Vegas, you can spend ten minutes and come in and see us. And uh, we have a to. fridge full of beer, and we can we can get you on the show. Excellent. Great. All right, enjoy the weekend. We're all as excited as you are to see how it comes out. I just wish I was there too. Enjoy yourself, Michael. Thanks for thanks for being on the show. Thank you. All right, ciao. Bye. Well, as we were talking about with Michael just then, betting is becoming a pretty big part of Formula One. And since we're here in Las Vegas, we have access to the latest odds. It really does make racing come alive when you have a stake in it. Every lap, every pit stop, it all leads to the final spots on the podium. And that's why we're going to start a new segment on the show called JB's Plus Money Podium Picks. Now, I'm not going to give you the favorites. That is too obvious. But every week, I'm going to give you the underdog to finish in the top three and hit the podium. For this week in Bahrain, the favorites are obviously Max, followed by Sergio and Charles Leclerc. Again, I'm not going to go with those. Instead, here are five underdogs within striking distance of making the podium in Bahrain. Sainz, Russell, Hamilton, Norris, and Alonso. And I am going to go with Alonso at a long shot at plus 850 to make the podium. That means that if you put 100 on the bet, you get back 950. And here's my logic. He was on the podium in third place last year. He's a twice world champion. He is so aggressive. He understands how to exploit the vulnerabilities, the weaknesses in other rival teams and drivers who might be a little more indecisive as they go into the 2024 season. I think he's a master behind the wheel, a strategist. He calls it in his own style. And I think he's definitely one that can drive it to the top of the podium. Remember, this is just my personal thought on the matter. And it is for entertainment purposes. And what you do with this information is down to you. Don't be like my producer, Jeremiah, and take my advice quite literally. It is not insider information. It really does make the whole thing about watching Formula One even more exciting and definitely super fun. And we will do it every week on Drive to Win. It is JB's plus money podium pick of the week. And it is Alonso at Longshot at plus 850 to make the podium. Well, I don't know about you, but hearing from Michael and just getting a closer, intimate understanding of what it's like on the ground there in Bahrain and the anticipation, the politics, all the personal relationships that go on really make me wish uh, that A, I was there and B, I can't wait for Lights Out on Saturday. It is a Saturday race and it's 20 years since the first Bahrain Grand Prix. But more importantly, it's 98 days since the lights went out on the grid for the last race of 2023 at Abu Dhabi. So, so much has gone on since then. But let's just take a little look back at what the finishing podium looked like at the 2023 Bahrain race. And it's, it's kind of familiar now, but wouldn't it be exciting to see that happen again? Max won, Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez was second, and then we had Fernando Alonso. Then we had Carlos Sainz with the Ferrari. Then Lewis with the Mercedes and Lance Stroll with those broken wrists he had. It was coming in sixth. It set the scene for an incredible first 
third of the year that we can only hope we get in one form or another this year. So a lot of people would be very happy if the top six were just as varied this year. But as Michael said, it's all about splitting the Red Bulls at the top. Now, I did mention, you know, that in watching Drive to Survive really got me in the frame of mind for it because there is so much anticipation coming into this race. And there's so little you can really say about a race that's coming up when you really don't know how fast the different horses in the race are going to go. So things I'm going to be looking for, what is the Red Bull advantage? It's not just in qualifying, because I think that's going to be a lot closer, but what really is the split over the course of a long run? Max did a set of 15 laps at the last week, right? on I think it was on his second day. And other than the first two, which were three or four tenths faster, the next 12 were within one-tenth of a second, every single lap, over 15 laps. That shows tire degradation is not a massive uh, issue for him, which is terrifying for the others. How close are the others? That's one of the others. Um, the Ferrari drivers do seem happier than last year, and that counts for a lot. I think it's very important for especially Carlos Sainz to feel he's a massive part of that team and has something to contribute while he's making his decisions about his future. He'll want to win in the red race suit for the last time, and uh, last time he has that opportunity. Uh, we heard Aston Martin really haven't improved as much over the, it doesn't appear going into the test, but they were pretty far ahead of the others a long way through last year. We shall see. Uh, I mean, Daniel Ricciardo is very optimistic about the speed of his RB race car, and he, he is a little bit of a dark course. It's not really going to be a podium uh, finisher, I don't believe, but boy, it would be great and so good for all of us if we saw uh, those two team cars make their way and, and compete, especially into Q3 qualifying. So like you, I'm going to be glued all weekend. I think it's going to be spectacular uh, to dissect the race with you next week. We got some a very, a very cool guests joining us and I, I couldn't be more excited. Also someone else that was on the ground in, in uh, Bahrain this weekend. As I mentioned at the top, please really do get engaged on our Facebook, our Instagram, on our YouTube. We're going to be putting the whole show up. It's kind of a visual show too. So if you're listening as a podcast and, well, you've got nothing else to do, why don't you go and check us out as the full visual version? Thank you to uh, Jeremiah and Brian. They are here with me making the show come together. And obviously a massive thank you to the Win Las Vegas for having us back and Mobile One for providing the juice that makes this all go around for the love of driving. I'm Justin Bell, and I will see you next week. It's time to go Formula One racing, guys. Drive to win.